1: hello and welcome to caged in the podcast where we go through the career of nicholas cage week by week film by film to find out if he's the father of the year or the deadbeat dad of cinema In doing so, I get a guest along and ask them, are they a Nick Cage fan? What was their first and what is their favourite Nick Cage movie? As well as using my unique scoring system of, does he have bad hair? Does he do a crazy voice? Or does he freak out? To join me this week and answer those questions, I have Daryl Bear of Sudden Double Deep. The three films linked by one word, podcast you're not listening to sudden double deep change that immediately daryl joined me to talk about brian taylor's 2017 film mum and dad we go into spoilerific detail for the film so if you have not seen it now is your chance to go and watch it if the time of listening to this, it happens to be on any streaming platforms, there is a Google Doc in the show notes which will show you where you can stream it in your region uh, at the current moment of recording. This is only available to buy or rent uh, online or get a Blu-ray like I did. I picked it up for relatively cheap in the UK, um, but yeah support support of physical media it's, it's great and uh, there's a great q a from uh cage selma blair and brian taylor on the disc for this so be sure to do pick it up if you if if you're so inclined but i will i will not waffle on too much and i will join you at the end of the episode so now it's time to get raging with cage <laughs> This week we're here to talk about a jet black horror comedy starring Nicolas Cage, Selma Blair, Anne Winter, Zachary Arthur, Lance Hendrickson and directed by friend of the podcast and previous guest Brian Taylor. Of course, I am talking about mum and dad. With me today, I have a man who is used to talking about Three films linked by a word. I thought I'd cut in some slack and just give him one film to watch. <laughs> Caged in with me today is Daryl Bear of Southern Double Deep. How are you, Daryl?
2: I am wicked. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: It's, it's an absolute. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, obviously, before we get talking about mum and dad, I always ask three questions up at the start, and that the first one is always: Are you a Nicolas Cage fan?
2: Absolutely. Like, without a shadow of a doubt. You. Um, yeah. Like, he's somebody who, um, I think he gets, uh, I think, you know, in the last 10 years especially, he's become very memeable online, and that's kind of, people kind of chip away at him a bit. Um, but I think that's total horseshit, to be honest, and he's more than a meme.
1: Well, I, I get a lot of shit because, obviously, I go through these films, I'm kind of in this cage pit, and uh, just, <laughs> just like the last couple of days uh, a mutual friend of ours liam dempsey has been giving me shit because i recommended him the film <laughs> stolen
2: but yes you did that's one of the <laughs> films
1: that came out in the last 10 years that for, for yeah. me who's somebody who's watched all of them it is a matter of uh it's not as bad as some of the 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 really bad nicholas Cage. it's
2: no bangkok dangerous exactly sure. exactly yeah, but yeah. um so that's like getting like a, a paper cut in between your fingers is better than getting you know your knob stomped on.
1: Exactly. Well, I think it was the film yeah, I just sure. kind of swept away by Josh Lucas's performance in that film. Fair enough. Fair of, enough. I always look at it as kind of like I don't know mixture of like the 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 third Gruber brother and Tom Noonan from <laughs> Last Action Hero. Oh man.
2: <laughs> it's like it's definitely one of his oh dear, I'm in trouble with the IRS films, isn't it? Like yes. it's it's of that yeah. Yeah. You, you can kind of tell these days. He's he's really good at like he picked some projects like the one we're about to talk about, um, which you can tell there wasn't really much money behind it. And then hearing your great interview you did with the director some months back, um, yeah, he pretty much said, you know, there was it was this is a, a modestly budgeted Film, but then, then you know, you can tell he's he's kind of doing it for the love. He's not doing it to obviously pay his enormous tax bills.
1: But even even that, like, he's got like a massive like sense of humor about it because there's a, a guest I had on this, Todd Farmer, who talked about uh, when they were making Drive Angry, and uh, there's a scene in that where Nick Cage is holding up like some money, and uh, he said, like, I better keep an eye on that. Because it hasn't it mm. hasn't done me well up until this point He's obviously like self aware enough to know that like yeah. he 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 did fuck up with that money buying ca- castles and like haunted houses dinosaur
2: heads and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
1: and yeah this uh I like to make the link that he he is an actor who likes to take risks um, in that he bought that dinosaur skull and he outbid Leonardo DiCaprio somebody who arguably can play it safe in the fact that like he will only do films now that like they're Oscar contenders or yeah, for sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas Nick Cage will go, I'll roll the dice on a straight to DVD film that shot over a week. Interesting
2: directors as well. He's not just going for the heavy hitters. He's going for people that, you know, have, that have faith in him to do the right thing within the role. Mm -hmm um whether it's in stuff like mandy or like he dialing it back 20 years to like adaptation you know he's sees somebody that's always and you know like i, I think it's it's due to his his uh, ability to dial into any kind of performance uh more so than it would be anything to do with you know the fact of his leg you know the the legacy of his family and stuff and uh, was weird like the first time i think you and i spoke on twitter was around the time i watched the film brew baker mm-hmm. for the first time which is a robert redford prison reform movie from i think it's the it's like 1980 but set in the late 60s and that's nicholas cage's like first film role where i think he plays a, like a named character in, in it so and even then he's like blinking you miss yeah, yeah. him but, like, from, from something like that and working with Robert Redford way back in 1980 to so then, you know, Fast Times at Regiment High and all of that, you know, he's... And Peggy Sue got married, which I think is really, like... It's saccharine as all hell, but I love it because of it. It's unashamedly saccharine. Um, he's, you know, he's worked with some greats and he's, he's taken some risks. And they haven't always... You know, sometimes the house wins. Sometimes you end up with a direct dvd cover and your, your gun fist is in your chest. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Perfect. So, um, obviously... It's good to know that you're a Nick Cage fan, because obviously this podcast would would be over now if if, if you weren't. But uh, what was your introduction to Nick Cage? What was the first film you ever saw him in?
2: Right. I think due to my age, uh, I had to think about this. I think it was probably The Rock. And I'd have seen that, you know, whenever that was first on the either on telly or available to rent on video. After its release, and then in very quick succession, it would have been Con Air and Face Off, like the holy trinity, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and then I think, yeah, two thousand, I had a pirate VHS copy of Gone in sixty seconds. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's the first one. That, and then the first film of his I owned on DVD was Eight Millimeter. That's a cheerful film for you. Well,
1: that, yeah, and it's really interesting that film because apparently it was supposed to be even darker than it was Oof. like Joel Schumacher had uh, enlisted a load of actual like LA uh, BDSM like fetish scene like regulars yeah. and filmed all these scenes and like uh, the studio went the subject matter is already a bit too like yeah. up there like we, we need to cut That's out the, um... all this Real, it's like the William sex.
2: Freaking stuff for um, for cruising as yeah. well. He filmed all the stuff in the in the uh, in the leather bars, and then the, the studio was like, "No, no, 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 none of this. This is, this is, uh, this is, this is porn. This is gay porn." Well, let's hope we yeah. don't
1: get a James Franco uh, like film oh, version of God. the missing footage of eight uh, millimeter, because that would yeah, be... yeah. Fingers
2: crossed. I'll say that the the most recent cage film that I saw in the cinema. Mm-hmm was a press screening of Left Behind. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was, that was like weirdly comedic. Like people were just sitting in there and we were just laughing throughout. Thank, thankfully, it wasn't one of those screenings where you've got like, you know, I've members many members, you know, filmmakers there. Or I don't think you know, the publicity people just outside handing out bottles of water, but we were just in there just like laughing our way through how, how terrible that film is. Yeah. Oof. Did you
1: get like a goodie yeah. bag with like uh, a copy of like the the new Gideon Bible and like uh, oh, some rosary beads because
2: Did did they didn't even bother giving me the you know you didn't even get like a goodie bag with the DVD of the original version or anything <laughs> on it like I think they made a couple of those back in the 90s and it's just yeah that that's a that's a weird ass film man like good grief that's a payday and a half though Yeah um it's, yeah it's
1: it's a very odd one and it feels like I always think like Nick Cage almost seems Scared of the like religious aspect of it because his performance in it is so like wooden, he just like, gives nothing. It's like he's almost like, yeah, not there. He is, he is the Holy Ghost almost because like it's just the shell of his former self. Um, so. The Rock is a solid first film and obviously going straight into like the testosterone trilogy as well. Um, (laughs) That's it. What is your favorite of those three films? This is obviously like a big point and it's kind of recently on Twitter. I've seen it's kind of, it keeps being brought up by a lot of people.
2: It's, it's one of those perennial, uh, uh, Twitter voting things in the same way that, uh, Terminator One or Terminator Two, like you're constantly seeing it. Alien or Aliens, like you're constantly seeing those cycle round, and it's just like, can we? Yeah, um, I look for me, it's gonna be Face Off. I, I, I you know, I really dig uh, Conair and and the Rock, but for me, it's it's all about the John Woo. It's uh, it's the culmination of of you know the best parts of him taking his Hong Kong style. Uh, and marrying it with with a very American sensibility, um, and the fact that you've got like John Travolta in there, just you know, they 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 make a, they're like yeah they 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 work really well harmoniously together in a film. And as I just listened back to uh, your Snowden episode, and you guys were talking about how uh, yeah, it's it's funny how they they've not had a career where we've we've seen more films with them paired up, for sure. Well,
1: there's um. There's great footage as well. I think you can find it easily online of like those guys like on set and like Cage will be going at Travolta and like obviously he's in this kind of what he calls his nouveau shamanic like mode and he's really going at Travolta and then like they obviously call cut and then they're just like laughing and joking and like Travolta can't <laughs> contain himself because he's like he's like that's great that's great and it it seems like the film that is fun and that everybody who made it had fun and i've, I've spoken to nick cages um standing around the time mm. he said like it was everybody on that was having so much fun but it's not indul it's not like self-indulgent and like mm, yeah like a lot of
2: um it's like you know to rag on it but ghostbusters 2016 like sounds like everybody had so much fun on that set and you can tell everybody had fun making it but I think it kind of lost something in the way because of that, because of the lack of structure. Yep. Whereas, you know, John Woo, you know, John Woo's—he's, you know, he's, he's a bit nutty. You know, going doing things like having expert marksmen on on sets of his earlier films to actually, you know, fire into into sets. Because it was cheaper to do it that way, you know. Then, like, obviously, coming to America for Broken Arrow and basically being told, like, no, you, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that doesn't. That's not going to work here. And then, you know, he then capped off his his great, you know, American films with uh, with I'd say the worst Mission Impossible, but still, you know, it's a, still still a solid film. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Exactly. But yeah, like Nick Cage in 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 I think that's his best performance out of the three, personally as well. Um, yeah I just I think he's great in it
1: perfect well what is we've obviously talked about your favorite of the testosterone trilogy hmm. but what is your favorite Nick Cage film of all time
2: right favorite film that Nick Cage I mean, this is a funny one because like my favorite performance would be adaptation but my favorite film is wild at heart I, I you know I'm a massive Lynch fan and I think he's he's incredible in it yeah it's,
1: I, it's wild it's and I love I love the pairing up of him and Laura Dern and but more especially him and Willem Defoe, because I've, I've, yeah. I think those guys are very much cut from the same cloth, they kind of have this like I will just put all my cards on the table and go with it and like
2: yeah it, it is funny to think that we almost lived in a world where you know with Superman was was nick cage and like i just that was one thing i my first real like after seeing you know the the holy trinity uh as a you know as a early teens was like starting to read in magazines and stuff and have about him you know like oh he's gonna be he's gonna be superman he's gonna be superman and they're just going yeah i can I, i can't see it but then that's probably a good thing because nobody could see um michael keaton as batman you know, when, you know, I remember I remember even that as a kid, Where you know, it, it being the news and people mocking the idea and it's just nuts. But, uh, but then like, then a few years later, we get Willem Dafoe as like the Green Goblin in three Spider-Man films. You just go, that could have been Nick Cage yeah. for me. Like he could have totally done a Green Goblin here. And, you know, I don't know, he was like desperately gunning for, you know, Superman for years. And there's a couple others that he got, he, he missed out on. And then for him to kind of end up, end up with, which is a horrible way to put it, but, like, Ghost Rider, which is, you know... Those films are what they are. I think he does really good with them, but, like... Yeah, I've gone right around the houses with this already. Back to Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, I... Yeah, I just... It's it's David Lynch, so it's always going to be high up on my my list anyway. But, like, the fact he's worked with, like, you know, Werner Herzog as well, and, like, I was really poo-pooing the idea of that Bad Lieutenant movie, because I was like, just don't... Why, why fuck with, you know, with that? There's a great... Great film, and then like Port Call cool New Orleans is is brilliant. It's just absolutely gonzo bonkers, and I love it.
1: Yeah, it's got it's just got some real. I don't know. It borrows from the first film, and there's a lot of like that's a film that's got a lot of tension around it because Abel Ferrara, yeah, Abel <laughs> Ferrara is it, gonna it's gonna kick up some shit, and then you got obviously like Werner Herzog, who is a man who got shot and kind of like brushed it off, and it like yeah, totally. So like I don't, like I and. It's got this. I don't know. It's, I thought, yeah, I think that film is is great. And that was, uh, that was weirdly like, because I took a massive hiatus on this podcast. There was like, that was like the fight, that was the final film before I took this hiatus. And nice. I was like, oh, that, that feels like a nice place to go out. But then for sure, I got this yearning to come back <laughs> to Cage two years later. And then it's like, here we are talking about, yeah. And you mentioned, uh, Ghost Rider. Which obviously, and Superman, and I feel it's really nice in Teen Titans Go to the movie that Mm. they they cast Nick Cage as the voice of Superman because it's a real, it's a real nice like wink to the fans who like people like you and me who would have known about that story of Superman Lives and like would have been like ah what could have been, yet we get to see we get to hear him at least and. Yeah, it's-
2: I mean, I'm like, in, in my heart of hearts, like when they announced that Michael Keaton uh, would and Ben Affleck would be returning for Flash, well, basically the, the Flash movie. In my heart of hearts, I'm going just if you could get like a one scene with Nicolas Cage in the Superman gear, I'll be ecstatic.
1: Perfect, and yeah, you mentioned uh, Ghost Rider. Obviously, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance was directed by Neville Dean and Taylor, the uh, directors of both the Crank Films and Gamer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, once they split ways, Brian Taylor went on to direct Mum and Dad, which is obviously today's topic of discussion.
0: Hey, uh, can I go to a movie with Riley tonight? Yes, right. Your grandparents are coming for dinner tonight, remember? Awesome. Grandpa telling his disgusting Vietnam stories.
2: Take my advice, don't ever have kids.
0: Everything just revolves around you, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What's
2: the rush today? It's like they're waiting for a buffet.
0: What's going on? Is that McKenna's mom? Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Have to leave You're going to This is a really great idea,
2: honey. I forgot your parents. That was tonight.
1: So was this the first time watching Mum and Dad for this podcast?
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely my first time with this. It's one that's been on the list for for a while, like since 2017, it's like, I will get to it. Um, it's weirdly enough, uh, we said this to you the other day, actually, um, we've been, there's podcast now, we're in our fifth year, and we've not covered a Nicolas Cage film in all our time. I don't know how it happened. We had this the other week with Sonic as well, like with, with another massive actor, we just went, right, oh, we must have covered him, but nope, nope, not done it. This is so many weird or blind spots. Even when you do something, because scattergun is what we do, and I I can't fathom how we've actually managed to miss Nicolas Cage. I think it's just some of it is literally the luck of the words that come out of the the, yeah, the yeah. tin because we pick by rand, you know, random. So yeah, bonkers. Yeah, this was yeah my first time, and it's this lovely. It's like eighty four minutes or something as well. It's it's a nice slice. I love that. It
1: doesn't mess yeah. about with its its runtime, and it's obviously a one idea film, and kind mm-hmm. of just wrings everything out of that that it can. Yet at the same time, kind of leaves you with questions that you want to know. Obviously, <laughs> it's quite ambiguous as to, yeah, why it is that things are happening, and obviously the things that are happening the the kind of. The elevator picture of this film and it is a perfect it's a perfect way to sell this to anyone as well to watch it. It's like the elevator pitch of this is parents want to kill their children. That is it. That's kind of like and you can kind of see how that could be sold to a studio. Do you know what I mean? It's like
2: Yeah. I mean it's it's basically, yeah, it's it's touching on things that say Hitchcock did with the birds. Like you never find out why those birds go nuts and do their thing. That's kind of what makes it kind of freaky. Um the crazies as well, the George George Giorgio Romero film. Um that the whole urban in like sorry, suburban environment thing for me was very much reminding me of opening ten minutes of the Dawn of the Dead remake, where you've got those those shots of just that little cul-de-sac, that little community. And it just look, looks, you know, it's the modern equivalent of that white picket fence ideal that was in the 50s. Is this now this, you know, this suburban environment where everybody knows everybody? And yeah, and really expensive looking houses. And yeah, there's, there's just so much like that, that whole kind of idea of just like from, from, from nothing. We see that static thing in the film. But like, um, there's a really terrible John Cusack and Samuel Jackson film based on a Stephen King novel uh called cell uh i i loved the book when it came out um the film is 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 a trash fire that i didn't get <laughs> like more than two-thirds of the way through but there's that whole idea of that as well like you know what what was this was this a uh is it some like government thing or is it some other government invade you know on us so like um, and just, yeah, that, that whole kind of crazy, that, Or that, the final act of Kingsman as well, mm-hmm. where everybody just goes bonkers because of the, they don't have that chip in their yeah, head yeah. and all the, their cell phones just make them go nuts. And yeah, it's, it is that kind of, that idea of like, well, is technology been weaponized against us? And what's scarier than the idea of, of just uncontrollable, this uncontrollable urge to, to, to kill your, your offspring?
1: So obviously, A big part of this is parents going after their children. And do you think personally that if it came to you v your parents, would you come out of it alive?
2: Uh I don't know. Yeah. See, my mum's four foot ten, so I've definitely got the reach on her. (laughs) I could I could yeah. Uh my dad my dad though, he's he's a he's a sprightly and wiry fuck, so I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how that would work out. Me and him, we kind of look alike as well, so it'd be like uh, it'd be like a mirror world episode of um, of uh, Star Trek. Um, we, I don't know who the bad version would be, but just us too, like you know,
1: yeah, all all like Jordan builds yeah. us, like yeah, yeah, totally. going yeah, after yeah, yeah. Your yeah. evil doppelganger. I get I, pretty much. I guess in this situation, you're, unfortunately for your dad, he would be the evil one because yeah, in this, it's the the parent and it's portrayed in this. Really well, and I think, like, obviously, this is a film that you kind of know the like I knew the premise going in, and right, pick up on things straight away, and like they they play with it really well. There's a scene really early on, and like the score works really well when um, Nicolas Cage's character Brent is tickling the sun, but it's like kind of done in this like menacing way, and he's like, he looks like he's like, grab like grabbing him where he's just like kind of playing with him a bit rough and like kind of like foreshadows thing. and there's there is the classic like bomb under the table in this like and it's something like a, a little nugget that is is left to you obviously knowing what will happen eventually is the talk of the uh baby that is going to be born by yeah god like, yeah yeah like, yeah, Kendall's sister is pregnant, uh, Selma Blair's character. And when when you know kind of what is going to happen and, like, that is mentioned, it's like,
2: I, I, I don't, please don't go there. Yeah. No, I've already seen, like, Mother in the last few years. I don't need to see, you know, anything else like that. I like Once you've ticked that one off your list in a film, it's like, right, they've done it. I don't need to see this again. Thank you very much. You know, I am done. No, that Mr. Bill... uh like score it's more like um it's that sound design isn't it and it works like um like really well with like uh like with the insane editing in this film as well like there's there's so much going on visually and you know, obviously cuz like Brian Taylor is somebody you know he he's a very visual director and again a lot of what you're doing with this cuz you you're limited with budget limited with time you everything's told in shorthand as well like you don't you can't fuck around this is basically a two act film there's no <laughs> there is no third act to this and that, that's kind of like it's this tantalizing thing as well cuz you do get to that final couple minutes and you're just like <gasps> and then you're just like where's the rest of my fucking movie yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it's. I like it because yeah, it, it it's kind of it plays into that kind of dark humor of the whole thing as well. It's like it ends with like a wry smile almost, like it's really knowing, which I think is why it works.
1: Well, to to the point of the score, one of the things I really like about this is the use of like uh, either like needle drops mm. in certain points. So there's uh, rock sets. Um, must have been love. Must have been love. In, yeah, in, in, in like a, a moment and. And the use of, like, humour in this as well. So, like, right before that needle drop, we get, like, the introduction to a character who, who basically looks like the poor man's um, Seth Rogen from Knocked Up. Like, he's this, like, boy, boyfriend of the, yeah, of the, of the pregnant Ginny. And he's there GoProing proing the birth. And, again, a great use of kind of, like, a low budget will use, like, this kind of, kinetic style of like camera like handheld cameras moving about and stuff like that but then when that song plays over like what is probably one of the most like harrowing moments in this film just just with the sheer like I don't know idea of a, yeah a baby is obviously the thing that is the most pure and
2: a, as a and you don't know how that scene's going to play out either. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, in your heart of hearts, you're like, I hope nothing happens to this baby. But, again, this is a film where it, we, we literally, before anything happens, the first thing we see is a mum in a car leaving her kid in the back seat while a train's about to hit yes. the tracks. And, well, the train's on the tracks. is about to hit the car. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, yeah, and it's just like, oh, fuck. Okay, so this is it's all out the window now. Anybody can, you know... The, the, Anybody can go like, because that's normally the sacred thing in a film. Like, you know, you either don't kill the kids or you don't kill the dog.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, which is why we know that Michael Myers in Halloween is, is is you know, he's not, not to be fucked with because he, he straight up kills that, that Alsatian. And you're like, OK, yeah. um, And yeah, just uh, we get like a, a Dusty Springfield song early on yesterday when I was young. And I just, and that's over the, the opening credits as well. And I just love how it plays into the whole th- theme of the idea of that, like, Nick, you know, Nick Cage's character is just, he he's going from a midlife crisis. He, he he misses those glory days of being a high schooler and being reckless and not having the responsibility. And same as Selma, uh, Selma Blair's character. And she, she's just as, she's really, you know, amazing in this. And just this whole idea of, like, this mid-40s slump of, like, fuck, is this what my life's ended up as? Uh, you know, like just this, this, the kind of waning, like worrying about like waning beauty and stuff like that. But w- when you're Selma Blair, it's a bit of a joke, really. Cause you know, you're incredibly attractive. Um, but yeah, Nick, Nick Cage is this, he's like, you know, he's, he, you know, we get this lovely amount of unhinged here, but it doesn't feel like un- like uncalled for or silly, or he's just, you know, they've, you know, they've popped the snake out of the, the bean can or whatever for no reason. It's like, it's because he's just frustrated, with his life you know he loves his kids he loves his wife but he's you know you can you can tell this that that static thing that sets all these parents off maybe it's just feeding into that one channel in their heads that just goes if, it, if you guys weren't here i could live my dreams well
1: yeah and that is like a thing that like plays into this film a lot is the obviously the the idea of parents and i don't, I, I i am a parent so like i can i i can understand it like I, I hate yeah. I almost hate to say it, but like you, you get that thing of like, ah, <laughs> oh, like, oh, great, like yeah. You, uh, I, 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 I could be doing things, but I, I, I got this responsibility. But there is also like this overwhelming sense of like I've got this purpose and somebody I, I love and like what this film like I think plays with really well, and I think it's like really. Poignant to to now as well is there very much is this kind of generational divide in like especially like when it comes to like voting and stuff like that and Mm. uh, at the moment as well it is this kind of you you have two camps of like well fuck the old and like do you mean like this this (laughs) generational thing of like it's it's the old the, the the parents like are out to get us and
2: well this film does that really well and the fact that like when i was first thinking about this i was like well it's not really focusing explicitly on say on the children in this and one's you know one's a teenager one's one's a little boy or the uh, or the parents but there is definitely this sense of like you got the generation x's who were like you know they're kind of you know, like if you think the whole Gen X thing as well and what that, well, how they were being sold to via MTV and everything. And, you know, you are the most important generation, you know, not realizing that that's what every generation gets told. And, you know, they had they had grunge. They had, you know, everything they had in the in the 90s, they had the flannel shirts, you know, the, yeah. they, they had Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder as their, their you know, patron saints. Uh, and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and things like that, and that's great, that's amazing. But then, like looking at the the and look at the girl, especially the teenager in this, well, the, the teenage character. Um, I teach at college and at uni, so like I, I I have to interact with you know Generation Ys every day, and um, and yeah, they're or Generation Z, whichever it is. Anyway, they're like. I I see that side of things as well, and sitting slap bang in the middle as as a, as a millennial, you know, born in nineteen eighty three, I I could you kind of seeing both sides of this and just going right. Well, like the the young people's perspective is like this could have just been a oh my god the plucky young kids have to thwart the older you know, but they don't play like that. They don't really throw in any. Um, I was a, they don't throw any like. Um, kind of teen y elements which another filmmaker or writer would have would have thrown in there's no like crazy references to like social media really or anything like that you know it's not all that you know kids be on facebook or anything you know kids be TikToking. there's none of that in here but then by that same token like you know we we do see the the gen the the gen the gen x's in this we've got you know again someone blair she's she's you know a nice nice slice and an incredible actress and then you got Nicolas cage who is somebody who's got this i mean he's he's had this amazing career and like life but we've we've seen him in various modes of insanity and 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 throughout the years but like to play somebody who is like just regret not regretting but like kind of got this bittersweet memory of of what it was like to be young again and like 10 pounds a penny, you stick that guy back, you know, if you Freaky Friday this shit and you turn him into a teenager again, he'd fucking hate it. Mm-hmm. It's just in his head. It's this rose tinted ideal of like, this was great. You know, I was doing donuts in my dad's car on the you, know, the, you know, with this girl's, you know, tits in my face. And it was just the most amazing experience. It's just like, yeah, dude, but I like, go back to it. Was it really all that good? You know? Well, there's the whole idea in this as
1: well, that, um,
2: to the point of
1: like, what, what could have been and like where his life was and yeah the they they're like supposed to be punk rockers like and you kind of get that from like yeah like nick cage listening to like punk in the basement whilst well like yeah it's it scores it but you'd assume he was like that's what he'd be listening to whilst he's building the pool table in that flashback he's kind of got like Mm. the the baseball tee and like um you see him as a young guy mustache which yeah, there's there's a great story that Brian Taylor told me about. Like the guy they got to play young Cage as well. He was just a guy kind of knocking about when they were doing pre-production. He went, I did like I, I saw that like the kind of the, the film circus had rolled into town. Do you do you want me to do do anything? And I mean, I like be a runner. I'll be a PA for someone. I'll do something. And he went, Has anyone ever told you you really look like young Nick Cage? And he's like yeah I've, I've heard that and he's like well i've got the perfect i've got the perfect job for you and it's like imagine going like i will be a runner to right get in this sports car we're gonna like rig it mm. up or whatever or like and then have this woman straddle you with her with her tits in your face it's like what a dream come true do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but
2: immortalized love it i
1: feel that One of the things, yeah, it really plays into it, and the the point I kind of, like, went around the houses to get to is that both these actors have, like, baggage that this film perfectly plays into, like, that obviously, I don't know, Selma Blair, to me, has always kind of been, like, that dark-eyed, moody and mysterious and, like, Cage is this wild man. And when you, like kind of get glimpses of their past of who that's yeah who they were before it's like i totally buy into that because it's a film yeah. that like uses our real world perception of them to go oh imagine imagine nick cage and selma blair were actually forced to live in a house that had like live laugh love like written on the wall and stuff like that like they'd <laughs> fucking hate
0: it
2: yeah yeah, I, that was a really nice. That was almost like a yeah. You're expecting to see some sort of uh, yeah, like oh, it's Protheca clock on the wall or something. It's definitely one of those like whoever did the the decor for that set that was just like, yep, that's that is that suburban like for, for, for a lot of people suburban hellscape, mm-hmm. but it's it's a very you know safe. Uh, kind of environment that you wouldn't expect shit to go awry like this. Um, I will say, like watching this, seeing, I mean, I, th- I think the uh, the young guy in this, uh, Robert T. Cunningham, I think he's, he's really good as Damon. But a couple things that really kind of stuck out for me is the fact that he's pretty much the only black guy we see in this. And he goes back to his dad and his dad is... Unemployed alcoholic at home, you're just like, okay. And then, like, then the rest of the film, he's basically like, besides Nicolas Cage, who gets you know, he gets some like uh damage, uh, he's he gets like constantly like ragdolled yeah. with various things, like fish hooked in the face, falls down a flight of stairs, like it's just like, oh, come on, man, <laughs> like you know, the one character yeah it's there there is an interesting thing like early on when you know obviously disapproving dad's like well you know i don't want you hanging around with that boy and the daughter's like well we we all know why you don't want me hanging around with him and it's this uh this un, you know it's, it's unspoken but it's like she's basically um implying that her dad's you know racist where from the father's you know we've see nicholas cage he's he's you know he's the characters saying that you know he's two years older than you and I I was that age once and I remember what I was like when I was that age and so yeah definitely projecting this idea onto you know onto the onto Damon the character as well
1: well the 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 meeting of Damon and Brent is like (laughs) is one of the one of the most like the first glimpses of real like raging cage in this when we get Mm. that like beautifully delivered and that is one of the things that like, I commend Nicolas Cage for in this film is like the way he delivers some of these batshit lines and at this point he says now the world you kids are living in things you've seen on the internet mouth to dildo, dildo to ass, ass to ass. hi Brent anal beads and it's like <laughs> there's only one mouth that a line like that could come out of and that is Nicholas yeah. Cage and like his delivery throughout Oof. this, like when when they're trying to hack through the door, and well, they're trying to get into the basement once the kids finally lock themselves in, and uh,
2: <laughs> motherfuckers, you're got to open this motherfucking yeah, door, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: And it's just like that, like it's all, and the the whole like uh, it's a sawzall. It means it's sawzall. That I love that callback because you get Selma Blair say it when obviously she's trying to trying to get through the door but then in like the kind of finale of this film cage picks it up as they kind of selma blair's got a meat tenderizer in hand and he's got the <laughs> sawzall in his hand and he kind Soars-all. of saws all yeah and it's, yeah it's this it's this deranged like i don't really on point nick cage performance and uh brian taylor like perfectly said in an interview i watched today that Uh, directing Nick Cage is like trying to direct the weather in (laughs) that you you, you you don't you don't know what you're going to get you just kind of have to try and dress appropriately for it yeah and you'll you'll get something and like I almost need he said with both of them I just let them do their thing and capture what is going on
2: well it's like seeing the projects that he's definitely invested in like personally like you know, your drive angries and your Bangkok dangerous and stuff like that, you can tell it's a paycheck for him and he's not really all that bothered. Um, But for something like this, you know, or say Mandy, where it's a case of like, you know, the underpants scene in Mandy, where you just basically got a camera, a static camera on him, and he's just going all out. And you go, for me, that is the most interesting part of that film. And it isn't the, you know, any of the 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 amazing cinematography or sound design or anything like that, or the, the kind of dreamlike aesthetic. It's that moment in the film where it's like, okay, this is somebody suffering a loss mm-hmm. here. And he's channeling that and that is raw wound and just personified. And he's excellent in it. And we get here, this this kind of rage that kind of like, when he's having that, it's not even a row with, with Samuel Blair's character after he, you know, smashes up well is about to smash up his uh his new pool table like he says maybe there should be a fucking grown-ups zone and a fucking kid zone like he was like we you know maybe we should be distancing ourselves from our kids and we should have that time for ourselves it's just like frust- parental frustrations <laughs> that just again suddenly that thing snaps and it's just like okay we're killing our kids now
1: what, what, like one of the themes of this film as well is, and like what is kind of bittersweet and beautiful about it is, it takes this horrible situation because at the beginning we kind of see, like through the flirtation with Selma Blair's character and her like old boss who can only kind of imagine is like by their conversation that was potentially like an old flame from yeah. pre-marriage and um, yeah, like Nick Cage's performance when like he's he says like your his secretary says your wife's on the phone. He's like, I told you not to bother me, especially not with my wife. Like hmm. they're like their 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 marriages kind of got to that stagnant stage where they're kind of just going through the motions. They've they've got what is the ideal of a family. They've got the nuclear family. Do you know what I mean? The the the, the, the husband yeah. and wife, the, the two the two perfect kids, the, the suburban house. But it takes this horrific event for those two to come together and it's like (laughs) it almost feels like a weird analogy for just kind of how like horrific events can bring people together unfortunately it pushes them away from their kids but by the end of it even even they like kind of still love their parents and it's 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 weird it's confusing but it's there, it's left it on a
2: really beautiful note. Yeah, and it definitely does speak to that generational divide. And you know, like there's def- different lines in this about how you know you you know you might be disappointed in us, but you know, and like and it's and I it, but different generations can speak to that. You know, parents say that very th- thing to their kids, and and kids the other way at a certain point in their life when they finally get to reconcile these things. And I'm I'm so pleased that the the teenage you know, character especially wasn't, you know, a total, like, cause you get, get a where it's like, how are we going to shut Especially cause you know, all this is, you know, written by grownups. How am I going to write a teenager? Well, I'm going to write them as this really obstinate, really difficult, you know, that they're, they're really overly emotional and she's not like, she's really level headed. She's like, she's really thinking on her feet. She's really like whip it smart. Like the minute that they know there's gas being pumped into the, into the room that they're in, like she has like a, like an amazing, almost Looney Tunesque plan involving a book of matches that you just go, holy shit. I would not have thought that I'd just be there dead it's great it's yeah it's i'm glad that they wrote that character as smart and capable and not a whiny teen i'm doing air quotes yeah. in my hands which is great podcasting that you see in a lot of stuff
1: well I, I i would much i much prefer like the character of carly to be the focus of this than say her friend riley who oh yeah who yeah. is that broad strokes like I've got rich parents. I'm going to rebel. I've got a choker. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to buy yeah. drugs
2: and smoke a joint. Like... She just she reminds me of that staple you'd get in slasher films in the 80s. So it's just like, oh, yeah, I want you to die. Mm-hmm. I want to see you die horribly. In fact, I'm really surprised that they they pulled back on us. And we, we, yeah, if we get to see her strangled to death. But I'm very surprised that she didn't get more of a... A visceral and disgusting conclusion. Like because you, you got that impression from the co- pressure cooker conversation that Selma Blair's character was having with her mother earlier on. That there's some real animosity there, like some real deep seated stuff. And you think I was thinking, oh my god, she's going to walk in the room and she's going to have like fucking curling iron in her face or something. Like we we. But it actually seems like I don't know. It's it's a little bit more. They dial it back a bit. There's some restraint early on. Um, which is kind of surprising. We don't even see like that first real instance where we know shit's gone like real bad is when all the parents are outside the school yeah. and the security guards there, and that little boy breaks through the crowd, and then all we see is the aftermath as these scissors raise up in the air and they've got blood all over mm-hmm. them, where the mum has basically stabbed her son to death with a pair of like, you know, scissors from a handbag. And it's just like we don't see the the gore, the violence or anything, and it's like Oh shit, something something's happened here. Well,
1: I I think perfectly this film kind of like plays with that as opposed to like the what is not seen like is mm. it is sometimes more scarier than like what what is For shown. sure. And like you get that scene of the guy with the baseball bat just covered in blood like getting his mail. <laughs> and that probably is more terrifying because you know what he's done and it's like exchanges Mm. between people when um uh is it cameron goes home and he speaks to his neighbor and he says like oh where's your daughter and she's like she's inside and it's like you Mm. know she's dead and (laughs) like with the with the housekeeper and she's kind of having that conversation then we kind of get the reveal of the mop like covered in blood it's like Fucking hell. And a, a, a moment that really, really, like, I don't know, like, seared into my, like, retinas when I saw it was all of the, like, new dads staring through oh, glass. Oh, that's
2: horrible. Yeah, that truck shot. Yeah, At their baby. That's, yeah. But I was saying this because I was watching this with Jeanette, um, wife and co-host of the, my podcast. Um, it, like, the, the whole thing, like, the reason they're not attacking is because they don't know which is theirs. I think that's the... Mm-hmm. So they're all they know that one of them is theirs, but none of them are making a move because they don't know which one. And that is just as scary because they're just they're just poised, ready to just rip their own children to shreds, which is a horrible thing to say.
1: One of the things I really wanted to talk about about this film was the use of like cameos. I'm not sure if you like uh, spotted a couple of those. Yes, so one of them being the uh, I think more famous in the US than the UK. But Doctor Oz, like having uh, discussing on the news about uh, how in pigs that they sometimes like turn on their young and and kill them, and mm. then a fantastic one from uh, the writer Grant Morris as well as a a sweaty yeah. uh, like expert.
2: Yeah, he's a expert. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got Bokeem Woodbine in this as a as a parent a little later on. So that was really kind of cool. I loved seeing that guy and everything. I love that he's in, like, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, he's a great, great actor. Um, and, yeah, just, like, to see those little cameras, it really reminded me of, um, again, it's funny, it's like something like, the Dawn of the Dead remake, which, you know, lots of cameos from people in the original Dawn of the Dead throughout that, like, you know, Ken Forey's in it and that. And it's it's just it's just having these people that you go, oh, it's that person. And it helps to kind of anchor different points of the of the film because this is, like, for something that's only 80-odd 80, 80 minutes long, it's, a, like, again, it's so um, mental. Yeah, mental. <laughs> it's tight, it's just fucking mental. Uh, but in the fact that you've got, like... You have this this mad scene of like mad violence, which is just just about to kick off, and just as it's on the on the precipice, mm-hmm. we have a flashback to give you context of the relationship between those two characters. It's it's a very strange choice, and it's one that I'm sure a lot of people like. You you either invested in it or you go, no, I can't, I ain't I ain't for this, and I totally understand that. But for me, I, I really dug it because. It was just that, that that extra context. I mean, a lot of filmmakers would like build that into the before. Maybe again, maybe the thing of this is it is only two acts, but it doesn't have an opening act, or it doesn't have a, a middle act. Even it, we literally go from from the establishing stuff to the the madcap nonsense that you'd normally have in the final final third of a film. Um, but what a final third, though, right? Well, oh, I shit. I always think that like this is the kind of
1: idea that would have been used maybe in like of late especially the last like five years or so like anthology tv series have kind of become like a big thing so like this could work as like a black mirror episode it almost like feels like that kind of that that premise that charlie bricker would come up with but like i'm so glad it kind of got that like feature length treatment to it and those those cutaways to the yeah to the past are great and i love the edit points on them as well like when Selma Blair's talking to the young Carly, and it's um it kind of goes from her being like, "Oh, you should never be scared of," and then like kind of I think like cuts right back to like her trying to break out of this door, and then yeah, eventually putting a coat hanger through Cameron's face, and it's
2: like fuck, like. that's that literally fish hooking that guy it was just yeah, that's that's it's funny. It's like I, I you know I can watch all the gory shit you like, but if it's something that's like Again, something like that, or like, did you ever watch the it's a terrible film? But the uh, uh, is it a wax museum? The with um, uh, Paris Hilton's in it, House of Wax. Yeah, House of Wax. That's the one. There's, it's, it's, it's not that good. But there is one moment in it where somebody gets their Achilles tendon cut off, and I like, I was just like, Ugh! it just, like, I just literally just like, yeah, it, it really has. Uh, an effect of me and then something like this seeing that poor guy get, get a wire coat hanger through because it's a relatable thing that could actually happen to you it's like when i see somebody get shot in a film i'm like no idea oh, no frame of reference for this
1: <laughs> i think one of the things that's really fun about this film is it it makes you think of that thing i used to do it weirdly when i was a kid of like what would i do if somebody broke in to the house right now like what could i use like in any room like to kind of like end for myself and like i think this film can like bring up that conversation in you and bring up those thoughts like i don't know when i was a kid i was like right so i'm in the i'm in the toilet i could use the air freshener to like spray them in the (laughs) eyes and then like i could use the towel to like choke them out or something like that And i think like the interesting uses of of kind of household implements to to, it's, uh...
2: it's like, you're, you're, you know, it's a bit of, I don't know if it's a tired thing now, I don't know if people still do it, but in my days of, you know, my, my first proper job when I was 17, I was, I was uh, a projectionist at cinema. And like I'd, I'd spend hours in that giant projection booth with all of the, the projectors in there just thinking like what would my what would my plan be, be in a zombie invasion? Like what would I do if I was at work, if I was here right now and I'm six miles from home, do I stay here? How would I get back? You know, where's safe? Like even like in the flat I'm in now, like I know because I'm on the on the first floor, it means that I'm safer than if i was on the ground floor (laughs) if there was a zombie attack it's ridiculous but you think about these things it's just like and i they they actually they name they name check um world war z in this as well and obviously they mean the the film from was it 2010 2012 or something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um the book's so much better but like they they, literally talking about that idea of these like and it's fast zombies right it's the you know the ones that run and that's basically what the parents become in this the scariest thing i think is the fact that they are only attacking their own offspring like they're 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 not attacking other people's kids only their own and which is why we get that that fake out when when uh, damon first meets um nicholas cage's character where you go oh well he's not gonna hurt him because it's not his child and it's like, yeah, but he's fucking his daughter, okay, right. I mean <laughs> it's just like oh okay that makes that makes some sense. I get that now
1: well, one of the things this film does well, and to the point of like household influence is when like you're kind of like when you know if you look yeah, if you kind of look at the cast list, you're like, Oh, Lance Hendrickson's in this, and yeah. like, if you're kind of clock watching you're like, well, he hasn't turned up and it's <laughs> it's this great kind of like what would be like the kind of third act of this in this like moment where the parents are kind of like poised and ready to kill their kids, we just get this like moment of perfect levity at that moment where the doorbell goes. And it's like, they're almost brought back down to being kids themselves yeah. because it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. We re- oh, your parents are coming around tonight. And it's like, uh, like cage looks disheveled. He's got like fruit loops all stuck to his face. And Lance Hendrickson's turned up to the party prepared. Cause he's got this kind of like fucking like little, little stabby knife with him. Yeah. And he's like hey, fucking about.
2: <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I knew he was in the film. I, I had no idea in what context, but then like that, that line of just like, Oh, you know, I forgot, honey, your parents are, your parents have come over. And it's just like, Oh God. And I, I, Jeanette sat sat next to me, and she just looked at me. She was like, "Yes!" And then that was it. You know, it's it's on like Donkey Kong. That last that last fifteen minutes where you've got like Nicolas Cage running around chasing his son, while Lars Henriksen's stabbing him in the upper thigh. Like that looks painful, man. Like what are you doing? But then like everything involving the um that car as well, that Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. Oh my god! Like I'm not a car guy, but that's that's um. A few years ago, when I lived uh, in Harringay Lanes, like you know, actually in London and not in fucking Barnet where I'm now, um, there was there was somebody who had two Pontiac Firebird Transams that they like just just in front of their house, and we'd pass them every day and just be like, wow, like they just seem so out of place, like really incongruous, uh, and, you know, on a, on a London street as well. You know, everybody's there and they they're you know very very sensible cars and these two giant american muscle cars there and you're just like holy shit yeah but it really
1: goes to the point that obviously he is just hell-bent on kind of like surviving and trying to kill his son because by the end of this he's in the car and he doesn't care about it anymore he's like i mean like it's kind of his pride and joy up until that point and like yeah, when he uses a sledgehammer
2: car. or something on the roof as well. but smashes the glass roof, and then yeah, just just him going like coming through it. And then and then that's I think it was around then that we get the flashback to, we because some of these flashbacks are connected. We see you know the, the conversation that uh, Cage has with his son about because his son puts a a bird, a dead bird in the well, it's yeah. it's half dead in the car to, for safety, and the car it's obviously flapped around. Shat everywhere and died. And so obviously it stunk up the car, there's flies everywhere, so his dad goes apeshit. But also he's like, well, like father, like son, because when I was a bit older than you, I'd stole my dad's Trans Am, which is the car we see at the beginning. And I took a girl out in it and I was, you know, it's just, and you go, oh, okay, I get it now. And you know, it adds to those generational layers of of fuckery to find out that he was his dad's as well shows that his dad you know clearly went through a midlife crisis and went i'm gonna get myself a muscle car
1: yeah well there's that thing as well that like cage's performance in that flashback like looks like it's sponsored by cocaine like he's kind of like for a dad like he's not he's not mincing his words at all like he's just kind of there, like I was I was the fucking man back in the day. Like, yeah. he's, he's just effing and jeffing left, right, and centre. And, like, even even the kid, like, is a bit like, whoa, Dad, like, he's like, like, the, the girls I used to get, like, back in the day. And he's kind of, like, bra- bragging to his son. And that scene has one of, like, my only gripe, like, one of my biggest gripes with this film is that, like, there's just, con- like, it's the thing with, like, cigarettes and lollipop, like, ice lollies in films is... The ice lolly just keeps changing, like length. <laughs> and I think that might be because I've watched it twice. But like, yeah. it's that thing. I remember, like, is that? And it's like the pilot to the OC. I think, like, the character, like, uh, the lead character Ryan, has a cigarette that just like keeps going, like, changing back and th- yeah, yeah, back oh. and forth. And uh, but yeah, like, I, I I had to get that out of my brain. <laughs> Uh, otherwise I'd go mental
2: I've got to say I didn't notice it this time around but I will look Sorry. out for it it's, it's all good <laughs> the thing you see on the cigarette thing it's so funny because like in films and television if a non-smoker is smoking in a scene and because I smoked for fucking what 15 years maybe 20 years Christ yeah Jesus I'm terrible I'm old yeah that's how that works <laughs> um, yeah like because I smoked for as long as I did like seeing people like take horrendous puffs of a cigarette in a film and you're just like no, you don't, you're not you <laughs> not. That's not a real thing. Please stop. I just don't get it. It's like why? Why would you have that person smoking if they've never smoked before? Or you'd give them a week with like pretend. You know, like the yeah. the, the, the like the Morley's in 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 X Files because cigarette smoking man, the guy who played him was an ex-smoker, and they had to make some basically like herbal pretend cigarettes for him so he didn't you know start jonesing for more cigarettes. Like you give him two weeks, a crash course on cigarette smoking, like sort it out.
1: Well, yeah, there's a there's a perfect story Mark Maron tells about like uh, him having to do cocaine, I, like fake oh, cocaine yeah. on, the, on the set of Glow, and he's like, "It's weird." Like that was a big part of my life for a lot for a long time of my life, and it's like it kind of felt weird going back to it, even yeah. just acting, like. Um, but yeah, as we kind of like draw things to a close, uh, is there like any other moments in this film that really stood out to you that we you feel like we've missed?
2: Well, no, we've because again the beauty of this thing is it's just, is it's less than eighty five minutes long, you know we've we've covered the majority of it. Um, I th- there's a, so there's a point where he barks like a dog, like Nicolas Cage barks like a dog. There's a point where he's shouting the hokey pokey because of course in America it's the hokey pokey, not the hokey cokey, uh, while whilst sledgehammering the the pool table that he spent so so long working on, and he just yeah, just I the freakouts are. Amazing. Uh, we've not brought up like the, the cinematographer for this is a guy called Daniel Pearl. He was the cinematographer on the, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's also the reasons why Alien vs Predator Requiem is like you can barely see anything in that film, <laughs> because um, way back um, Ridley Scott said he wanted Alien to look like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space, and so the Strout, the brothers Strauss, who directed that film, went, oh Texas Chainsaw. Well, we'll just hire the DOP that that did Texas Chainsaw Massacre then, and yeah, that that's yeah reason why it's so damn dark. But it helped get him the job on the Marcus Nispel Friday the Thirteenth film. Uh, and then he did the Boy and a couple more Mom and Dad. But he's like you know he's he's worked cinematography for things like Every Breath You Take. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. You know he's had his fair share of like massive you know multi million dollar music videos. Probably some of those music videos that he was cinematographer on probably had a bigger budget than this film
1: yeah so which
2: is bonkers so
1: the budget for this is like it's really modest it is like
2: 7 million i want to say holy shit that's like blumhouse numbers yeah
1: yeah but like off the top of what like from reading it earlier for always the way i've got too many tabs open and now
2: now i can't find it uh <laughs> that sounds about right that does for, for a film of this you know to for it to look the way it does as well and that's not to say it doesn't look bad i mean them they, you know daniel pearl does does an amazing job with with you know what he has here but you know this is the age of you know things are shot digitally and they're shot to look a very specific way and i think it definitely suits the director's own visual kind of bent that this is you know this really frenetically paced, uh, you know, film, but without losing anything. I think because you've got such a such a simple premise that you don't lose. This isn't, you know, I, I've been bringing this up a lot lately, and it's not. I have no hate on Scorsese, but we we covered New York, New York for the for the podcast, and that is two hours and forty minutes of get to the fucking point. <laughs> Whereas this is like 80, 83, 84 minutes of okay. Within the first ten minutes, you know what's up. Mm-hmm. And I think having the likes of of you know Daniel Pearl's cinematographer, having the likes of Mr. Bill on sound design and scoring here, it's just every every single part of this, it's like a, it's like putting together a Swiss watch or one of Nicolas Cage's enormous chunky watches. Yeah. It's... Do you notice we do get we do get one in this film, like we get one moment where it flashes and you go, Oh, I wonder if that's uh I wonder if that's his
1: watch. <laughs> well he's got like uh Like so, like when he was doing press for this as well, like Nick Cage has uh, a fantastic collection of rings and stuff like that. Um, One of the things that like uh, he he equated to his relationship with Brian Taylor was he said that Brian Taylor was like Kurosawa and he was like uh I, I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head but like his kind of like go-to she used to work with yeah yeah, yeah. and he's like and like that that's how he sees their relationship that like there's this level of simpatico that that's like, fantastic if brian if brian's on the phone like i'm gonna be like making a film with him and yeah to your point of daniel pearl as well like if you literally look at a pop artist from like the last 30 years, he's, he's worked on their music Mm. video and obviously started his career with, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and weirdly like did the remake as well.
2: Yeah. Which is like, it's an interesting one. I don't, I I, don't. Of those, like that was a real again. It was the Michael Bay thing as well because he worked with Michael Bay, and you know, Michael Bay directed that I would do a thing for love uh, video for for Meatloaf. But like, he's um, you know, Michael Bay produced all of those those big remakes for of the you know Friday Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, from around that era. I think maybe the Nightmare on Elm Street one. I'm not sure, but like this whole idea of just resurrecting these these are like, classic horror villains, almost as classic as like the universal monsters of like Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and stuff, you know, they, in the seventies and eighties really kind of created this new generation of them. And yeah, that's probably where the relationship with Marcus Nispel came from. And yeah, he's, he's an interesting, he's an interesting, got an interesting and varied career, like 250 commercials under him as well. 400 music videos. That's insane. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, well,
1: perfect. So would you recommend people watch Martin
2: Absolutely, Day? without a shadow of a doubt. It's um this is great. And again, it's it's sub ninety minutes, so it's it's just that it's a nice slice, it's a good kind of time frame. Uh and it's like it at no point does it really let up. There's no lag or dull bits in this. The performances are great, like Nicolas Cage, Sean Blair, and the the like you know what if I can watch a film that's got child actors in it that don't make me want to get some garden shears and stab myself in the face i'm a happy man i feel like i've come out of the other end of it you know you know i'm onto a winner um and yeah this one that the, even the little boy actor who you the, 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 even the little boy character who you think is going to be like oh he's going to make all the mistakes and sure early on he makes one mistake because mm-hmm. obviously he's he's a little boy but he's the one who shoots selma blair like, you know, like it's a, it's yeah, a, it's yeah, a flesh yeah. wound, but he shoots through the door and hits her, and you're like, holy shit. That was the biggest belly laugh I had in this film, was Selma Blair's character just, bit like, to an extent, oh, nice, so you completed the midlife crisis and got a gun. Did you at least have it in a, in a lockbox? He's, yeah, well, what was the combination? Oh, the, the kid's birthday, and the little boy's there, just click, 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 click with his birthday on the thing. And that I, that just did me in. I just thought it was so funny.
1: Well, yeah there's that great scene of him kind of like dancing around in the bedroom and a nice little like a uh, taxi driver reference of him yeah. kind of like talking to himself in the mirror. And,
2: I had a uh, weird, like having seen Joker in the last, you know, 18 months as well. I just like, it's just in his pants with a handgun. Just like, yeah, it's weird, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this film, like I, again, I would massively recommend this. I think it's got, and you can see the sensibilities of a music video uh, cinema photographer in this. It, it plays out like that. It's, it uses the kind of medium of like digital mm-hmm. film and it it, it it looks, It you you can kind of see it was filmed like on digital, even though there's like a couple of moments at the beginning, they put like kind of like after effect grain mm-hmm. on there to kind of like, like you said, right at the beginning uh, of this conversation that. It, it, it kind of like messes about with that 50s, 60s idea of like the white picket fence and stuff like that, which mm. it, it does through the title sequence and stuff like that. It's but funny because um, even if,
2: if this had been made, I say this has been made this year, ha ha, but like. If this had been made in 2019, even just you know a couple years later, we'd have had a shit ton more drone shots than we see in this film. That's for sure. I'm kind of getting a bit like I'm sick of seeing them in everything, and I get it. It's it's new tool that we are now starting to use, but like. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's a documentary, it's a romance, it's a horror, it's a sci-fi. There's fucking drone shots all over the place. And it's just like, can we just like limit this shit? And we get like a couple in this to show the suburban landscape. And it's great because they establish everything, but it's not like we're beholden to them. It's not like we end on one pulling out from the, you know, pulling out from the estate or anything.
1: Well, perfect. So to wrap things up, I always like to ask uh, three questions, uh, which are: Does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film? I would
2: say it's bad hair. It's definitely Hair Plug City by the looks of things. But you know, I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to judge. You know, it, it suits him for for the for the role.
1: As an actor who likes to go to crazy places with his voice, obviously you mentioned earlier, Peggy Sue got married. <laughs> a film that Kathleen Turner wanted Nicolas Cage sacked from. She begged. Lord Coppola to get rid of him because of the voice he did. But in this, does he do anything crazy with his voice?
2: I mean, yeah, we get, he does. He barks like a dog at one point. He's, the inflections he puts on on certain words are pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty intense. You can, you can tell when he starts to kind of uh, take the lid off and let the steam escape, mm-hmm. you know, and he kind of starts to cage out. We do get a little bit of that in here. And then by that final act, you know, we, we get some, some full on cage rage, which is great.
1: Well, yeah, it feels like a kind of, uh, a fool's errand to ask the final question because this (laughs) film is very much built upon the idea of Nicolas Cage freaking out. So, uh, if, you, if, you, if, if the listeners haven't understood by now, uh, I'll ask you and you can clarify for them. But if they haven't got it by now, they're fucking idiots. Please <laughs> and uh, Never darken my doorstep again. But does Nicolas
2: Cage freak out in Mum and Dad? Uh, the one word I put under this was throughout. Yeah, <laughs> just, just like this is, you know... I'd say of the 80, 83 minutes and he's on screen for probably about 50 of those I would say 43 minutes of this is him freaking the fuck out and it's it's really it's it's splendid.
1: Perfect. That's uh that's sometimes all you can ask from Nicholas Cage
2: obviously. Uh
1: that's not all he can do, but it's fun when he goes there and yeah. it's fun when it's deserved. That's
2: the one man. Yeah, when it's when it's a deserved thing, when it's not like when it's when it's a freak out for a paycheck, we can all tell. You know, uh, yeah. I, I, probably, it's, it's probably something like akin to like, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your significant other was a porn star and you're watching, you watch them and you're like, well, they're enjoying it. But it's not the same as when you're in love. And it's the same <laughs> with Nicolas Cage, in, you know, in a film like this, you can tell that he, he loves the, the source material and he's, he's having fun with it. And he's not Bangkok dangerousing up all over himself.
1: Oh God. Uh, let's hope he never Bangkok Dangerouses over anyone uh, ever again, especially not Liam Dempsey. No. Because, uh, but uh, at the same time, I, uh, the Pang brothers, if you are listening, if you do do a Bangkok dangerous too, if you have a germ of an idea, please make it just so I can drag Liam Dempsey back, back. on this podcast sure. to talk about it. And, uh, I don't know. I think at that point, he will probably never speak to me (laughs) again. Uh, So, perfect, Daryl. Where can people find you and Sudden Double Deep? Online,
2: so anywhere you get podcasts, we are sudden double deep. We are we watch three films linked by a word in the title. Our first episode, the word was impact, so sudden impact, double impact, deep impact. You get the idea. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at sddfilmpodcast.
1: Perfect. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you, Daryl. And uh, I'm sure at some point I uh, will get you back on. We'll to-
2: definitely. And we'll definitely have you on on our on our show. We're we'll, we're gonna say we're gonna make make a reality of uh, of a triple bill of Nicolas Cage on our on our show at some point soon. Perfect. I <laughs> I,
1: I, I I would I would be absolutely honoured, but at the same time I can't think of anything worse than to have to sit through uh, some of the potential Nick Cage films that we've discussed. <laughs> uh, but I'll leave that as a as, as a tease. For what could potentially
2: Sin. be yeah. Yeah. perfect, wicked.
1: And there we go, guys. Both me and Daryl came out the other side with our lives intact. Neither of us were murdered by our parents, or neither of us were murdered by this film. Uh, as you heard, we both really enjoyed it. If you, however, feel differently about this film and want to get in touch and to tell us why we were wrong, please do so on social media at CagedInPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can always drop us an email, which is CagedInPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to support this podcast in any way, you can always just share it, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or you can head on over to Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Pod, Or you can always go over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com to buy one of the fantastic Tim Hornsby designed Superman Caged In Uh, Art prints, uh, each one is hand numbered and has a unique Nicolas Cage quote on the back, all done by me. Tim just supplied the amazing, not just, Tim supplied the amazing artwork. I just then wrote on the back of them, which uh, they're great though. Uh, Yeah, please, 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 please do buy them. Uh, And uh, yeah, uh, Patreon, Uh, soon I will be launching a thing called Caged In. Companions, which will be films that kind of mirror what's going on in the films uh, that Nick Cage has been in. So it might be something like as simple as National Treasure and it will be an Indiana Jones film. Something as simple as that or Leaving Las Vegas will be Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You get the point. Uh, Coming up next week, I will have the amazing Brad Hanson who has been dragged from the basement of the Evolution of Horror podcast as he seems to only feature on their Patreon episodes or the also rants and giving him a a full hour plus to discuss vengeance, a love story with me. So please do be sure to join into that one. Because it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, tune in and uh, 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 listen to that one. Brad, Brad was an amazing guest. And as always, I have been Petrus Patsolibus. I have been Caged In. You have been amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come.